Yesterday we, we carried on with the second element of Chassidut. Remember the first element was Ma'aseh. That was the Ben Adam L'Chavero, Ben Adam L'Makom. Ben Adam L'Makom, Ben Adam L'Chavero, if the order is to be correct. And um, then we went Ma'aseh, Asiyah. Asiyah was Yirah and Ahava. In Yirah, we dealt with two aspects of Yirah. Um, uh, one was the being in awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, being aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one and two, and, and also being uh, understanding the context of who we really are, uh, who we are in, in this world, um, and that you are also have to do with how we show our kavod to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, doing kavod b'mitzvot, and so on and so forth. Then we moved on to Ahava, the second part of Asiyah, Maaseh Asiya, Asiya is Yira and Ahava. Ahava has three components, Simcha, Dveikut and Kinah. I made a mistake yesterday because I started on Simcha and I should have started on Dveikut. But we've discussed Simcha, we discussed Simcha yesterday. So today we're going to discuss Dveikut and Kinah. These are the, the second and, well, actually Dveikut is the first, Simcha is the second and Kinah is the third. Of, uh, of the definitions of Ahava. Dveikut, he's very brief here, the Ramchal, that's, that's how I missed it yesterday. Um, it is Devik. Devik is glue, right? Um, and when something is stuck to someone else, it is inseparable, right? Uh, uh, so Dveikut to HaKadosh Baruch would mean that, that we're inseparable. How would that inseparability be, uh, be exclaimed, be, be described? It would be described by... Um, by constant isuk, by constant thinking of uh, of of Akadosh Baruch Hu obsession, really, right? You know, when when you, you you've got glue, you can't you can't get rid of this. Two things are glued together; you, they are inseparable. And uh, even if you can separate them, the glue is all over the piece that you've separated. So this element of uh, of of Devekut is it being obsessed with Akadosh Baruch Hu. The simcha is believing, is the faith in Akadosh Baruch Hu and therefore being content in your heart, and the Dvekut is being obsessed. So what is Kinah? Uh, Kinah, if you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, um, if you're uh, in, in Chutzlaretz, it was last week, right, because you're going to do Matot Masse this Shabbos, and we're going to do Masse, and we're going to come together after being separated since Shavuot on Parshas, uh, but that means that last week you did Pinchas, right? Uh, so Pinchas is dis- dis- described as a Makane. And uh, the Pasha Pinchas is a very challenging Pasha, right? Because uh, anyone can claim to be zealous and a lot of very bad things can be done in the name of zealotry uh, when they're not in the name of zealotry. For example, who could uh, justifiably explain that the killing of a Prime Minister of Israel was done with kin'ah, was done with zealousness. I think the assassinator, Yigal Amir, who to this day sits in jail, will claim to you that as a from person, he, he felt the dangers for Amisrael in the Oslo Accords, and in an act of kin'ah, in an act of zealousness, he killed the Prime Minister to, to destroy the Oslo Accords, which in effect did happen, but not necessarily just because of that. Uh, so are we now going to say that what he did was a correct thing? 
I'm not of the opinion, not the religious or political opinion, that it was the correct thing. So when, when, when do you know that you're doing something zealous? Meaning, Ramchal is going to say that, that a sign of love is kin'ah, meaning that, that I am pained when something, if I love someone and someone does something to them uh, that hurts me, that hurts them, it hurts me. Whatever hurts them hurts me, and I am mekane, and I am, uh, I am pushed to to act zealously uh, in reflection of the love that I have for them, uh, and therefore the idea here would be that you are in love with Hakadosh Baruch Hu so much that if someone does something kaviachol, as if to say this could happen, but as if to offend Hakadosh Baruch Hu, it offends me and would then trigger a reaction from me. Uh, in, as I say, Kaviachol, defense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, for example, I could claim, uh, I'm about to uh, dispel this claim in a second, but I could claim that uh, if someone is driving a car on Shabbos, I am offended for HaKadosh Baruch Hu that someone's breaking Shabbos. So I pick up a stone and throw it at their car and scream out, Shabbos, Shabbos. And then I'm a Kanai, right? I'm a, a Kanai. I'm doing this because, uh, ostensibly in, in defense, because I'm insulted, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is insulted, and so on and so forth. Now, what I have to say here is very, very important. This is chapter 19 of Mesilat Yishayim. And chapter 19 of Mesilat Yishayim requires someone to have acquired all of the chapters beforehand. And that, that, that excludes little kids who are... Um, throwing stones at cars on Shabbos in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu because they love HaKadosh Baruch Hu so much. I think this is uh, something something I spoke about, actually I gave Shir here uh, on Parashat Pinchas and I was speaking about it and I said that, uh, you know, to be able to, uh, where, where, just after Pinchas does what he does, the parasha says God gave him a Brit Shalom. Uh, and one of the Mephashim, I, I can't remember on one leg who the, who the parish was, but it was a, a pretty, pretty uh, substantial Mephash, says that, that he was given Shalom to reflect, that he was in his Shalom to reflect what? That his act, that his act wasn't a, a, uh, a natural act, it wasn't something he did normally, which, which means that it was a true act, it was a sincere act. And I, another example I brought was of Shmuel HaKatan, uh, when they had to make the extra, the extra bracha for the Amida, Velam al-Shinim. Velam al-Shinim is a, there were a lot of minim heretics and they were damaging uh, Judaism by changing certain laws and by uh, causing a lot of confusion. And the, the Nusuch is a damning Nusuch. And the Nusuch Sfarad is even worse for Velam al-Shinim. Uh, so when they were looking for someone to do it, they looked for Shmuel HaKatan, because Shmuel HaKatan was a peaceful man and he was Arav. And, uh, and so they knew that whatever he wrote, it would be L'Shem Shamayim. So if someone has a bad temper and someone likes throwing stones, they can't just suddenly say, this is in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? You have to be very, very careful. This, this, uh, yourself a Kanai, and there, there's a whole group of uh, right-wing extremists uh, in Israel, Haredi extremists, call themselves Kanaim. Um, the question is whether they're really Kanaim. It's not for me to judge, right? But, but whether, whether you are pained for HaKadosh Baruch Hu and that's, why you, and that, and that's justifying your act, or you're a hooligan and uh, you want to hide behind the, uh, the shield of Kanaut uh, to do what you have to do. Uh, but but uh, to be a Kanai, so Pinchas is a genuine Kanai, it's not an easy parasha, right? Because here you have a man who essentially seemingly... Uh, you have to learn the sugi there, but seemingly takes the law into his own hands and kills someone in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. 
and what justifies that killing and so on and so forth in the eyes of the people, not just in halachic guys, in the eyes of the people, is tachat asher lolokav He has kina for Akush Baruch Hu. Uh, Eliyahu uh, describes himself as being uh, a, a mechanef for Akush Baruch Hu. Uh, and uh, there are many who believe that Eliyahu and Pinchas are one of the same people. Uh, this is a very, very high madrega, right? That you are in love with someone so much that you are mekane, that you, you be'etzem, um, it, it, it creates a, a feeling as if something is happening to you when it's happening to them, which is, which is also a sign of love. So we have dveikut, simcha, and kina. And uh, those are the, uh, the three areas uh, of, uh, of asiya, ma'aseh, asiya, and the third level of Ahava of Chasidut in Ahava is Kavana. And uh, what, what does Kavana mean? And this is, uh, this is pretty easy, the Kavana. Um, let me just find it for you. Yeshne Kavanot Chasidut. That what he's doing is for the sake of the generation that he is uh, he is there and defending the generation he has the right kavanot and he, we are Amisel we are we are God's people and therefore he is uh, he is looking out for for Am Yisrael and uh, he has the right kavanot in everything that he's doing. Um, let me read it to you. Not only, we're not just talking about your own, your own kavanot for yourself, that you have to have kavanah, but you have kavanah for your generation. Okay? And this is a chassid, someone who loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Will will do whatever they can uh, in their actions to defend Am Yisrael. This, by the way, was the Achilles' heel of Eliyahu, right? Because Eliyahu Navi, he says, when the people uh, didn't follow the right path after the revelation of Harakarmel. And Eliyahu essentially goes in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and says, your people are not worthy. And at some stage, I'm not going to give that whole share now, but at some stage HaKadosh Baruch Hu essentially fires, fires Eliyahu. Maybe you've got kina la Hashem, but you don't have kavanah for the door, right? Because, because if you, have gave it, you, you would never give up on my people if, if you really love me. And uh, as I spoke about that there, and I said maybe that's why Eliyahu has to come to every Seder night and have to come to every Brit Milah in order to uh, show Eliyahu that for generations he should never have given up on our people because we do Brit Milah in the Warsaw Ghetto and we do Seder night in Auschwitz and, and, and Eliyahu is always there to see it. Um, so the, the third element here is Kavanah, not just the regular Kavanah, but but kavanah mit kaven for letovat hador that the tzaddik is a letovat hador. You know you have you you've all read I'm sure tzaddik in our time Rav Arye Levine's that cell who uh, who who did so much for Am Yisrael for the prisoners of the Irgun and uh, he he was so caring the, the great tzaddikim so caring for Am Yisrael and that and, and again is a reflection of their love for God if if you're mekaneh and you get upset when things happen. Uh, 
כביכול against God, then, then you love God's people as well. That's also a sign of love. So, so to summarize, what do we have here in Chassidut? Remember, Chassidut is a positive side of, of me, Alu, me, Eve. What do we have here in Chassidut? We have Ma'aseh. Um, Ma'aseh was made up of Ben Adam Lemakom, Ben Adam Lechavero. Asiya, which is made up of Ahava uh, and Yira. Uh, Yira was, was knowing your place, being aware of God and the greatness of God and Kvod Shaman, Kvod Mitzvot. And in Ahava we have Dveikud, which is sticking to HaKadosh Baruch an obsession with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Simcha, faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we spoke about yesterday. And Kavana is caring, caring for him and for his people. Uh, and uh, th- 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 with that, we now have to talk about something which is an incredibly important qualification. When we entered Chassidut, we, we, the whole uh, Chassidut meaning when we entered this, this category of Chassidut, which includes Prishut, Tahara, and Chassidut, uh, we, we spent uh, an elaborate amount of time at the beginning explaining that um, the uh, whole notion of Chassidut is beyond the pale. It's above and beyond what we are required to do, right? First, you're a Sadiq, and, and the Etsem Sadiqut is doing what you're meant to be doing, refraining what you're meant to refrain from. Once you have perfected that, and if you have perfected that, you move into the next category, which is the category we're in at the moment, which is Chassidut. Uh, chassidut is going beyond the pale. It's not things that I have to do. It's things that I, I want to do because of my love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, either by being poraised from something or, or being uh, a chassid in something in the ways that we have uh, in the last few days been describing. But now, in order to qualify Chassidut, and this is really important, because even though we are unable really to fathom where we're at at the moment, we're in chapter 20, we're... we're we're two-thirds way through through the Sefer in our brief, peculiar summaries, and um, we, we are kikaron beyond where we are in reality. However, in every chapter, there is something there for us to take away for today, even if uh, it, the, the majority of it is somewhere in the future, Bezrat Hashem, uh, holds that there's something we can take every day. Now, in chapter 20, which I think is a critical chapter, is... Um, it's called Mishkala Chasidut. And, and here comes to bear the, the very clear distinction between Sadikut and Chasidut. You see, in Sadikut, when you're dealing with Halacha, you don't have a choice. Uh, halacha is Halacha. Uh, it's not there for me to decide whether I'm going to keep the Halacha or I'm not going to keep the Halacha. Halacha is Halacha. And, and I have to keep it. I have to refrain from doing something if that's what the Halacha says. And I have to do something, being proactive in doing something, that's what the Halacha says. Halacha is binding. It demands commitment from me in what I'm doing. Nakuda, period. Chassidut isn't that. You see, chassid, everything in Chassidut is beyond the pale, is, is beyond legislation. It's what I'm doing, as, as we've said a number of times here, because I'm of such a madriga and I understand Sadiqot so well that I understand what God wants, and now I'm initiating my own stuff of what God wants. Lelokeshet um, to being commanded to do so. Uh, and this brings with it nafkamino. You see... Loving someone isn't always reflected by doing something for them. It is, it's, it's sometimes reflected by refraining from doing something. Now, obviously, this discussion isn't relevant in halacha. Halacha, you have to do. Let, let me give you an example. If I was doing something in my Yiddish guide that was, to the perceiving eye, comical or embarrassing, 
or ridiculous, then if I really love God, I wouldn't do it. You understand? And, and again, my love of God has nothing to do with that. I, I want to give you an example, okay? It's dumb an example, but it's, it's the example that I often use and it comes to mind at the moment. Uh, I have to daven Shimon Esrei in an airport. Okay, it happens every so often. It happens sometimes on the way back from Poland, you have to daven Mariv. Uh, it happens sometimes in the winters when you've got a couple of hours and there isn't a minion and you, you can't hang around to see how many from people are going to turn up at the gate in time for you to daven in a minion and so on and so forth. There, there are instances where uh, you have to daven in the airport. Now, you have to daven in the airport. Now, if other people are looking at you and they're seeing you pray, and uh, let's say chakras, okay, I have to put on my talus and fill in, and, uh, and um, it looks very strange to people, uh, and I'm embarrassed by it. So the halacha is I have to put my talus and fill in on. I'm running out of time. We, we don't care what people think, and you put your talus and fill in on. That's to be a tzaddik, right? That's to do the mitzvah. It doesn't matter what people think. However... If I stand in the airport, waving my hands in the air, making funny faces and screaming out loud in the context of other people who are not Jewish and who have no idea what I'm doing, then on the contrary, I, I'm not showing a love of God. I'm, I'm making a joke of my Judaism. So that there is a time when you're doing something which is lifnim tadin which isn't halakhically required. And by doing it, you are essentially making a farce of Judaism in other people's eyes, then real chassidut would be to refrain from doing it. Uh, and this is very, very important, right? Because, because sometimes uh, we get confused with the love of ourselves and the love of God. And um, we say we're doing something for the love of God, and, and we're, we're almost creating a chilul Hashem in our actions. It's not a halachic requirement what we're doing. And, uh, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make people love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It makes people laugh at, at Judaism and laugh at what we're doing. If it's halachically required, like if you're walking with a lulav and etrog to shul, uh, in England in the old days we used to get this long wooden box and uh, for the lulav and etrog, we used to, this is before the plastic things were made, and a small, a small, wooden box for the etrog, and you walk to shore with a little of an esrog, right? You, you walk to shore with a little of an esrog, and they look very strange in the street, because that's what you have to do. You have to come, you need your little of an esrog first day onto it. And, uh, and, and that's how you take it to shore. You couldn't take it the day before, uh, because, because it wasn't a safe place to put it, so you, you brought it from home, and you know, all these Jews are walking the street with these long wooden boxes, with these long cardboard boxes, and sure, and, and it looks silly, uh, but, but that's what halacha requires you to do. Uh, and therefore you have to do it, because otherwise you won't have a little metro to make sure of ensure. Nakuda. But there are things that you don't have to do, and when you do them, you make, you make Judaism a, a joke. And, uh, and real chassidot, a real love of God, is sometimes refraining from doing something. Think of it in, in terms of a human relationship. That sometimes if you really love someone, you shut up. You don't, you don't say things or you don't do things out of your love for those people because you don't want to embarrass them, because you don't want to put them in an awkward situation. Meaning, once you move into... And fundamentally, I want, I want us to understand this, right? Once you move into the, uh, the area, the vicinity of, uh, of something that you don't have to do, that you're doing out of the love of God, then you have to add another factor. If you don't have to do it, then 
you can uh, and you have to take into account the ramifications of what you're doing in the eyes of other people. And, and it's very, very important, again, and, and here we can come in and out of halacha, right? I want to give you a few examples, Dafka, you could argue, no, that's the halacha. But, but I, I have questions of whether that's what the halacha requires and whether you have to be makpid if what you're going to cause is a chilul lashen. This happened to me many, many years ago, and I haven't told this story for a, for a long time, actually, so it's quite possible that a lot of you haven't heard this story. It, it, it was in my earlier years of recruiting, and um, we were flying back from America to Israel, right? Flying from America to Israel. Um, and again, I, I, I accept that you could argue halachically on this issue, but, but I'm suggesting it anyway, um, because I've heard from other poskim that, that it's not a halacha. But uh, now, now, if, you, if you, you're aware of this, if you're flying from Israel to America on the regular midnight flights, so essentially there are no tefillas at all, right? Because you normally get to the airport after Mariv, even in the summer you can dub in, in a minute at the airport in the shul there, or you dub before you go to the airport. Um, and... Uh, and by the time you get to America, it's only six o'clock in the morning, and then you go to a shul. You go to a shul. That's what I generally do when I go in December. I, you know, I get a car, and then go to Jersey, go to Bnei Yishur, and go to Renat, and that's it, finished. Uh, and, that, and that's what I, I regularly do. On the way back, it is much more complicated. If you get the regular flight back from America, essentially you're going forward in time, and you're, you're flying with time, which means that... Uh, again, I'm not being exact, I can't remember exactly when the flight is, but, but it means that five or six hours into the flight, you have a two and a half hour window to dub in Shachris. And uh, you can dub in Marav, you can dub in Shachris, and, uh, and sometimes you have to dub in Shachris and then dub in Mincha. All right? it, it, it's quite complex and there are apps that help you work out exactly when and how to do this on, on, a, on a flight from America to Israel. That was the situation I was in. That's what I remember. Now, now, as you know, what happens on on El Al flights is that they give all the special diet food out. This is the Masechaya. They give all the special diet food out first: vegetarians, vegans, and special kosher. Um, they give all those out first because normally that's not the majority of people flying, and they want to get rid of the uh, uh, the exceptions before they deal with the rule. Fine. So they give out all these meals. Now, as you know, they don't, they don't start collecting up these special meals when people have finished them until they've, the other people, the, the vast majority of people sitting on the plane, have, have finished their meals. And very often, if you have a special kosher, uh, because, of course, it's not cordon bleu, it's not, it's not the greatest food in the world, you normally finish whatever you're going to eat, that you finish whatever you're going to eat, a long time before they, they've even given out the food for the other people. This was Masir Shaya, this is what happened. And so we had all had, we meaning the orthodox or ultra-orthodox people on the plane had all had their special kosher. Um, the, the attendants were trying quickly to get through, uh, I think this was a Mariv story, it was a Mariv story. The attendants were, were trying quickly to get through giving out there so people, people could go to sleep. And there was, there was this right son of people on the plane to Dub Mariv. Now, of course, all the, all the ultra-orthodox people had finished eating and decided, okay, we're going to make a menu. So they all got up to make a minion. Now, now the plane was full of these uh, agalot carrying food for everyone else. And this caused a massive, massive traffic jam in the middle of this jumbo aeroplane and, and, and a clash between the dialogue, the, uh, 
the air hostesses and, and us. I have to include myself because I was there. And the people who wanted a daven, they wanted a daven and they wanted to give out food and they didn't want to wait because they wanted to go to sleep already and so on and so forth. And massive row broke out on the plane and uh, the, the ultra-orthodox people wouldn't move. And they couldn't give out the food because they wouldn't move. Because... So you have this ridiculous situation at some stage where, where some of the... Uh, People next to me trying to explain to some of the chilonim, you know, we're, we're davening for you, we're davening, and, and it, the most embarrassing, for me, it was the most embarrassing situation. Because essentially, it, it, it looked for what it was, it was a very selfish act, if we really wanted to daven for God, if we really wanted to daven to God, we could simply have just waited uh, another 40 minutes, uh, stayed away for another 40 minutes, and then got up, Chofetz Chaim would have done that, got, again got up when everyone was asleep and daven. But people didn't want to do that. Oh, Misadecha, they love God. Misadecheni, they want to go to sleep. So we created the most enormous Chilul Hashem. Because the people sitting down could not understand why we had to get up at that stage and daven. And, and of course, halachically speaking, we have to daven. The question I have here, halakhically, is whether you have to drive the whole plane crazy to make a minion if it makes people uncomfortable. Whether, uh, number one, I'm not, it's not clear to me that it's such a good thing, halakhically, to daven right next to the toilets when people need to go to the toilets and there are people coming in and out of the toilets uh, regarding a toilet per se and regarding disturbing other people. That's a question in its own right. But in this particular instance, that's not even a question. Had we waited another 45 minutes, the rest of the plane would have gone to sleep. That's what people do, right? They have their meal, they turn the lights off, and everyone goes to sleep. And we insisted that we have to daven here, and we have to daven now, and you're claiming our love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I think chapter 20 of Mesilat Sharon would have said, sit down and shut up. If you love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, sit down and shut up. Let people eat. And then if you really care about this, afterwards get up and you daven Baminyan. And the same thing goes in, in the other area, the areas of grey that I've had in my own, you know, very often you get up to Daven on a plane and, uh, and the, and the, and the seatbelt sign comes on and then the hostess asks you to sit down. If you're in the middle of the Shemona Esrei, uh, you don't want to sit down because you're in the middle of the Shemona Esrei. Now, halakhically speaking, I think, again, I think it's not halakhic shit, but I think there is room for someone, again, let's say you're on a plane where there isn't a minion, and, uh, or doing a minion on the plane is difficult, uh, then uh, I think um, if you have to, you say the Amida sitting down, as opposed to causing a ruckus when they're trying to get you to sit down and you, you don't want to be mafsik badibur. And uh, so, again, here there's more of a question because it, it, you could say, well, the halacha is, I have to stand up. It's not clear that it's a halacha. So you say that, and then we're moving to the area of sadiqut. But I'm Try to give you examples where people say this is what the halacha says and there's no other opinion and therefore they create the most incredible balagan in the name of their love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and what comes out of it is a chilun l'ashem. Okay, if, it, if, it's, if it's a halacha, you should always do the halacha and you should never be embarrassed to do the halacha. Uh, and I've had some wonderful, beautiful experiences like that before. Never be embarrassed to do the halacha. But if it's something that you've taken upon yourself um, then Mishkala Hasidut comes in. Then you have to weigh up whether you really have to do it or by doing it, you're actually, you're actually doing the wrong thing. And, and he, he brings a Gemara, which is very shy to us. It's, it's a Gemara of Tisha B'Av, right? of, of Gitin Nun Vav, of Zechariah ben Avkulus, who instead of being able to come to a good halachic uh, uh, workable 
a solution in a, in a situation that in the, in the, in the Beit Mikdash was machmir on everything, and that chumrah brought, brought to a korban. Um, and this is just something all the time we have to think about, right? That when you, if, if, if in a certain situation, which will not be understood in any other way, you have a posik, a serious posik, that you can rely on, then it's not chasidut to be machmir and cause a ruckus and, and have everyone embarrassed of, of your Yiddishkeit, right? And there's so many examples of this, right, where we do things in the name of religion and we create a chilol Hashem. And it's, uh, you know, I think, I think you need to know a lot of halacha here. You need to know where you can manoeuvre things and when you can't manoeuvre things. There are some things, as I say, you just have to do. And you hope that people understand. You do it with a certain amount of sensitivity. But there are other things that are not necessary to do. Uh, and again, we shouldn't use this as a rationale to get out of things and not do things. We're talking about chasidut, right? If the halacha says you, you have to bench, you have to bench. I've never noticed, by the way, and I went to, I went to school with Hindus and Muslims, I never noticed them embarrassed of anything. They, they always did what they had to do, and people respected them for it. And whenever I did what I had to do, they respected me for it. I think if you do what you have to do, and you do it with the right intention, and you do it in the right direction, then people respect you for it. If, if uh, and there's no reason for you to be embarrassed. I don't, I don't, there's no reason for you to be embarrassed. I, I, um, I, I, I want to tell this story because it's a lovely story. I was on a flight from New York to Cleveland. This was before 9-11, it was a long time ago. In those days, your parents can tell you uh, the economy was in a good way, uh, generally in the world, and you could, you could jump on and off planes, right? There wasn't so much security, that's, that's, that's what happened 9-11, because security was a bit lax, uh, because the halakha was that people are fundamentally good people, not terrorists, and... Uh, and essentially, what, what we used to do in those days, in order to... I, I flew a lot in those days in the recruitment time. It was just me and Rav Sussman uh, at that time doing the recruitment uh, or the bulk of it. I think Rav Shames also did a little bit. But I could get to three places in a day, meaning I'd start in New York, I'd go to Cleveland, go from Cleveland to Boston, and finish off in Chicago. Uh, I wouldn't work in Chicago, but I'd get up first thing in the morning, I'd already be in Chicago, right? That was the kind of plan that we had. And I was flying from New York to Cleveland, and as I said, it was, a, it was an economically booming time, and, and planes were half empty. I mean, they, they were just empty. And you got on these pla- a plane from New York to, to Cleveland, uh, yeah, there were five, six people on the plane. I had to dumb a on the plane, because I was going to present in Cleveland, and go straight back to the airport and fly to Boston and present in Boston, Boston, we have to interview as well, so I was going to... That, that, that was what I had to do. I had to, I had to dovin on the plane. There's time to dovin on the plane between New York and Cleveland. Um, but Bechidus, but, but, right, they certainly didn't have a minion on that plane. But Kitsu, uh, there were so few people on the plane, and, and, and everyone stood out. That's like five or six people on the plane. That I turned around, it, I remember the lady being a, a, an Afro-American, and I, I, I turned around to the lady and I said to her, listen, I, I have to pray. She said, that's fine. I said, when we pray, Jews pray, we, we put certain boxes on our head and on our arms. I don't want to be scared or, or worried about it. So she said, it's fine, pray. And so I did. And uh, I, I, I don't know why, I don't know what was in my mind at the time, but I, but I put my tiresome fill in and became, for some reason, because it wasn't busy, I became unaware of anyone else on the plane. And I started steiging a little bit with my davening and uh, I had a good davening. You know, I had one of those good dovenings. And uh, as I was taking my talisman to fill in off, uh, the stewardess and the steward came up to me and she was crying. Uh, uh, this wouldn't happen in England, of course. She was crying. And uh, she was saying, she, uh, 
she hasn't, she, she's so emotional about, about what should be done and it was so, so uplifting for her and then the steward said something and, and for the first time in my life, and this was quite a time into my life, I realised that if you do something and you do it uh, with the right intention and you do it, you do it mechubad and you do it in the right way, there's nothing to be embarrassed. On, on the contrary, people, 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 people uh, are interested. They, uh, many times I've been learning on, on a plane and people have asked me, what are you learning? Like non-Jewish people ask me questions about Omer, is that Hebrew, is that Aramaic, whatever. You don't have to be embarrassed about, about keeping halacha. And, and you see all, all different cultures and all different religions, people who are sincere, they do what they have to do, and they do it ba'anava, they do it with humility, and there's nothing to be embarrassed about. What we're talking about here is, is when you start doing stuff that you don't have to do, that you've taken upon yourself, you don't have to do, uh, and, and this... this is alienating people and upsetting people. So Mishkala Chasidut is saying, this is always a question, right? What, what is my real motive when I'm doing something? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is, is it because I'm a Kanai? Is it because I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Or I'm a Shugana? Or an egoist, you know? And, and sometimes it's really, really hard to tell when you're looking at yourself. Why am I doing it? Am I doing this because I should be doing it because I have to do it? Or am I doing it because I'm an egoist? Uh, it's, it's hard to tell. So when we come into this area of chasidut, so Ramchal says, no, mishkala chasidut means you have to weigh up what you're doing. We, is the love of God better reflected by refraining? Or is it better reflected by, by, by actually doing? And, um, uh, and that's, that's what he talks about here, mishkala chasidut. And he's very, very um, makpid to... to emphasize that uh, the the necessity here is if you have to do something halakhically, you've got to do it. We're not talking about having to do something halakhically. We're talking about things you take upon yourself. So we spent quite a long time defining chasidot over the last few days. In chapter 21, Be'ezrat Hashem Erev Shabbat Kodesh, tomorrow uh, we, will, we will talk about how to possess the kiyot. Sorry, how to possess chasidot. Take care.